Hey, welcome to Transform Your Workplace. I am Brandon Laws. Thanks for the download and thanks for sticking with us through these crazy times. You know, I've done topics on conflict quite a bit. And the reason I do it because everybody has such a different approach to conflict. And I think conflict is one of those things where it's always going to be there. And there's a lot of schools of thought about how to deal with conflict and manage it and work through it. And I always love hearing people's perspectives because they're always a little different. You can always glean some new nuggets out of it. So I had a conversation with Chris Marie Campbell and Susan Clark. They're the authors of The Beauty of Conflict, Harnessing Your Team's Competitive Advantage. And we had a fun conversation. They talk about why people opt out of conflict and they give some examples of types of people who would opt out and how they kind of show up when they're opting out, whether it's intentional or not. And then we shift and talked about how we opt in and kind of the layers throughout that. So you're going to get a lot out of this stuff. One thing I know is even as communications change, especially over the last few weeks with people working more remote, is conflict's always still going to be there. It might be via email, it might be in a video chat right now. And some of you and a lot of you are still probably working because of the environment you must be working in. But for a lot of knowledge workers, they probably shifted remote. But needless to say, conflict is always going to be there. Conflict is good once in a while. It gives us learning opportunities. It helps us grow. So I encourage you to check out this podcast, listen all the way through. And then if you're interested, grab the book as well. There's a lot of great stuff in it. And I think you'll like it. So can't wait to talk to you next week. Got some good stuff coming. Let me know what you thought about the podcast. Shout out on LinkedIn or Instagram or wherever. But I would love to hear how you're liking the shows. Thank you so much and enjoy the episode. Chris Marie and Susan, it's a pleasure to have you on the podcast. Thanks for coming on. Oh, we're excited to be here. This is Chris Marie and Susan. (laughs) Awesome. Hey, actually, thank you for doing that for the audience. They'll be appreciative as we kind of go through this discussion talking about your book, The Beauty of Conflict. Harnessing your team's competitive advantage. Susan, I want to start with you. Something stuck out to me in, I think it was the author section, just kind of about you guys. You said that you learned about miracles created when people who have different points of view collaborate on a common problem that they both care deeply about and want a successful outcome. And you have a personal story that you could probably elaborate on that point. Do you want to share that? I assume you're talking about what I kind of, I don't know if I put it in there, but I refer to as Project Susan, which had to do with my cancer experience when I was in my early 20s. And that really was, for me, it was kind of like a moment where I learned about leadership as well, because in my 20s, I got diagnosed with a very advanced non-Hutchins lymphoma. And by the time they caught it, it was a stage four. And so I had a very aggressive protocol that they used and they thought, you know, they believed, hey, this will work. But nine months into that, when I was getting my checkup to kind of confirm how we were doing, and my doctor sat down with me, it was pretty clear. Well, I knew going in, she was not happy. And then, you know, basically what she said is, this isn't working and we don't have anything else for you. We don't have another option. So you probably have about six months to live. Yeah, 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 exactly. It was like all of a sudden, you know, I had had complete confidence that these leaders had a solution for me. All I had to do was breathe through it. And remember walking out the door and I actually picked up a flyer, Life, Death and Transitions, because I thought I've got to learn how to die. And That's unbelievable to even think about. 
Yeah, you know, but I also realized that, okay, you don't have any answers. I'm going to search everywhere I can for answers. And so I actually did do everything from learning how to die with Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, <laughs> looking at how my emotions had something to do with what was happening. I went to spiritualists, I guess, you know, <laughs> spiritual people, <laughs> <laughs> dietitians, other non-traditional doctors. And what was interesting, they all had some ideas, but they did not like to work together. They were very almost hostile towards each other. And I was like, look, this is Project Susan. So I'm going to ultimately be the decider of the direction we go, but I want your input. You guys are much smarter than me. So help me figure out the answers. Well, at least ask the questions and let's go with this. I learned a lot about conflict during that time. And I learned a lot about how we get caught up in the right answer or what we should do versus, wait a minute, just bring your idea to the table, have a strong opinion, but then be curious and interested because something else can happen. And that's sort of what happened to me. And I, you know, I don't know whether it was chemo, diet, any of, I think all of those things were helpful. But the biggest piece for me was, wow, when we can talk together, even in our strongest differences, miracles happen. And I've saw it for my own health. And I've seen it in many, many times since with teams and leaders and all sorts of situations. I don't swear much on this podcast, but I'm going to give the audience a head up because it's relevant for this. So you guys talk about the oh shit moments in the book. <laughs> and I'm curious if this was one of those oh shit moments. And do we need to have those to start engaging in conflict? Well, one, this was, I think I even say this in the book, this was my signature oh shit moment. <laughs> though, just, you know, uh, for sure. get more oh shit than and, that. You know, I mean, hopefully we don't have to have major crisis to have that kind of opening. I mean, I do think though, when we are in a situation where there's strong differences, if we don't get out of our right, wrong opinion, we create an oh shit moment for ourselves. And so those oh shit moments may just be simply when we don't have, where we need to learn to tolerate more uncertainty, more discomfort so that we can come to a different decision. So in that sense, yes, we need to recognize the oh shit moments. They don't have to be signature ones though. <laughs> yeah. And it's interesting because in those moments, I think people just have a hard time admitting to like feeling discomfort or fear, uncertainty. Why is it that people don't speak up in those moments? Whereas like, you know, Susan, in your situation with your massive oh shit moment, you spoke up seemingly you got all those doctors and naturopaths and all those people working together and you're still alive to this day. Mm -hmm. yeah. And so it worked for you. So why can't people understand that it's good to <laughs> display discomfort and uncertainty and fear and talk about it? Well, this is Chris Marie and... I think it's because we get into a freeze response based on what we learned growing up. I mean, I grew up with an army colonel dad who was angry a lot. So every night at dinner was like running the gauntlet, hoping he wouldn't explode. And my older sister liked to press his buttons. And so I was always trying to distract or reframe or so my goal was not to show up with my own opinion. My goal was, what can I do to keep this relationship smooth? And that was what I grew up thinking, that's my job. And it became, you became very, well, very I, I did. I became a good team lead. You know, I was in the Olympics and Boeing and, you know, I was able to smooth things over. That became a really good skill. But what I was missing was my own opinion. That didn't seem to bother me so much until it did. <laughs> 
And I got blamed for a project at work. I was working at Arthur Anderson at the time, and I was a team leader of a project of six. And we had a strategy to solve the client's problem. My boss came in and said, no, that's not what you're going to do. Do this other thing. We got to the end of the six months. It did not solve the client's problem. And when he spoke up and told us that, I didn't counter that. I asked a question like, do you think it's going to solve the problem? Because it was too terrifying for me. And I think this really goes into our primal conditioning, our amygdala hijack, our what we learned. And it's really out of our thinking mind until we become aware and want to change it enough to speak up. At the end of this project, it didn't work. All the partners at Arthur Anderson were there, my senior manager, and all the peons were around the side of the walls. That was me. And we brought this client in to say, how can we get more business at you, you know, with your company? And he said, well, you know, that project Chris Marie led, that was a disaster. Oh and he pointed yeah. to it. <laughs> a complete disaster. So, you know, at that point in my humiliation and shame, I was like, I do not want this to happen again. So I had one of those oh shit moments in the sense of, I really want to learn how to do this differently. And a lot of times, I don't think people recognize how much they're giving up their power by not speaking up. And then they may complain to their friends and think, oh, I have to, you know, this is just what I have to do. But we have so much more influence if we can find that place to speak up. Yeah, you even said the word like smoothing things over. Avoiding conflict would be another way I'd describe it too. Like you describe in the book about opting out. That's a form of opting out of conflict. You say it's a bad idea. Why is it a bad idea? This is Susan. You know, I think what happens is the opting out, when our book came out, there was a big article that came out from Harvard Business Review. Oh, which, right. And I just remember their headlines were, Learn to diffuse and manage, manage conflict. conflict. And I was like, we need to use this in our mm -hmm. advertising. We think just the opposite. <laughs> and the reason you don't want to opt out is because when you go to one of those opt-out styles, which can be, let's face it, signature strengths. Like if you are, one of them is to be the superstar. I'm going to take care of this anyway, because I know what we need to do. I'm just going to go get it done. That's a style that people have learned. That can be what you might call your rock star team member. However, Usually you don't get the best solution then. You're getting the loudest person solution then, and they are just doing it themselves, which could either burn them out, but also you're not really getting the best answer that the team has. Then there's the accommodator. Now, Chris Marie was a super duper accommodator. accommodator. Yeah. The problem was her opinion was missing. So again, something isn't there that's going to bring your team's IQ up if everyone contributes. And the separator, they're usually just looking for calm, rational decisions. But when they think it's too emotionally laden, they focus on the wrong thing, which that's not always bad. But when you really want a team to pull together for their maximum IQ, you got to get out of those opt-out styles. And the key here is it does get messy. And we tend not to like things to be messy. But we do think that what happens is when you have strong emotions, differing opinions, and you're focused on a goal you know, you get into that right, wrong energy. And all of a sudden, this tension inside of me and tension between me and you or me and the other team members. And I'm just not built to hold that tension. So that's when we go to those opt-out styles. And what happens is it's like letting the air out of mm -hmm. the balloon. All this creative juice yes. and energy is there for a reason. And if you can learn to tolerate it, you're going to come up with new possibilities that neither one of us are thinking of. But that's often what we're coaching leaders on and team members on, on how to actually build your capacity to tolerate that tension. You guys are good. Actually, I had written down the quote where you talked about 
how like the tension filled ambiguous moments let all the air out of the creative balloon. I think that was a brilliant quote and it <laughs> it's perfect. Hey, Brandon here taking a quick break to tell you that this episode of transform your workplace is sponsored by Tresta. Tresta is a mobile app that lets you do business calling and texting from anywhere with Tresta. You can set up your business phone number, download the app and start calling and texting unlimited right away. Tresta is the best business phone app on the market. Growing your business is all about networking and communication, so it's important that you're available. If you've been carrying around a second smartphone, you're chained to your desk phone, or worse, giving out your personal number to anybody that you do business with, then you should give this a try. Tresta offers the call management features that empower you to communicate smarter and more efficiently, like auto attendance, call recording, user groups, and more. And you don't need any special equipment, just a smartphone you're already using. Tresta is easy to configure so you can set up everything yourself all online. Tresta is just $15 per user per month with no contract. So start your free 30-day trial today at tresta.com forward slash transform. That's www.tresta.com slash transform. Now back to the show. I love that section too about the styles of the opt-outs. And I found myself having like a self-awareness check too. And I'm curious if you guys can guess which one I am. (laughs) If I resort to a tendency. You might be an accommodator. Sometimes, but I resonated more with the superstar. Because I'm all about efficiency. And so a lot of times I'll just keep moving along. And so I wanted to solve things really fast and sometimes not even give people a chance to speak. And I don't do it intentionally. (laughs) I just want to just, you know, I try to be efficient about everything. And I think you've named something that we find with a lot of leaders, that desire for efficiency. And business does operate sometimes at the speed of light, so to speak. Stuff is happening all the time. But it really does help sometimes, even if it's just a pause, to slow down and wait a minute, am I really utilizing the benefit of all these people around the table? But it is hard to do. And I'd say that superstar is usually someone that's actually one of the harder ones sometimes for if it's the leader, it can be tough. And if the leader has a superstar in their team, a lot of times that's someone who they really kind of want them to do that. You know, (laughs) it's like, okay, but you're not necessarily benefiting from this group of subject matter experts you brought Mm -hmm. together. I find a lot of people are falling into, and I'm curious what you guys think, but I find a lot of people in my own experience falling into the separator mode where they just, you know, sit on their hands. They might check email as you described it, have their laptops open, kind of just seem disengaged from the meeting or any conflict. They just don't want any part of it. What do you think? Well, it's interesting you say that. I agree with you. I think though, when we're in the room talking about this, it's so funny how when we ask, whether it's a large room of people or just a small team, how many of you can relate to the separator? So often no one raises their hand. They don't want to be called out. <laughs> and it, I, I, I know, think so. I, I, you know, I was like, did you hear the question? Because you might've been on oh. your so. <laughs> no, no, I'm just kidding. You know, I do wonder sometimes, but I think people don't realize. And here's the tricky part about a separator. A lot of times they are doing good work, but because they don't like that tension and they're usually the ones that would say, take this offline. They don't realize that they actually could contribute to the problem at hand and it would be beneficial. And so, you know, I think that's why they don't even recognize because in their mind, I am doing something important. 
it's just got nothing to do with. It's often like when you two finish that, we can get back to real work. And it's, (laughs) they think that in their head. And I think that can come across. They may not be aware of how dismissive that is because these two people are thinking they're doing real work and having an issue or, you know, if it's whatever's going on. The point you made about the take this offline thing. I mean, I hear that quite a bit. And part of me wants to believe that out of just saving face or, you know, not having public humiliation, like taking it offline might be a good thing. But the other side of me thinks that like, wow, if people get to see like leaders, especially engaging in conflict and solving it kind of on the spot in front of people, you know, without throwing each other under the bus or being rude or screaming at each other, that could be really healthy for a team. Oh, we worked with one organization where we worked with the very top executive executive team of that organization. And we had to go through a lot to get them to really begin to do what they needed to do in the meetings, but they got there. And later, the CEO of that company said, the thing that has been the best for us is now we have these types of disagreements, conflict out in our organization, and it has filtered through all of the organization. They're much more willing to They've developed trust that if, hey, if the leaders are really doing that, then we can do it. And it's not that it always gets cleaned up. They're not, you know, but they clean it up. Like if something goes wrong, they're willing to come back because they recognize that's actually important too. Doesn't even have to go perfectly. The reason I think we're so good at what we do sometimes is because we will actually get into stuff right in front of the client, not deliberately, but we do disagree. We have different styles. And, you know, you've heard about me. I'll say it right out loud in the moment. But and I'll also think, I'll be thinking, oh my God, she's going to get us fired. <laughs> <laughs> but often the client wants us back because of the realness of that. Yeah. And that's what they see like, oh, wow, this is real. We can be real. And that's really what we're thirsting for. It just bumps against our, oh my gosh, it's going to threaten my safety. We can't disagree with power or... And when people have taking things offline, what you typically happens if a leader says, hey, you two take that offline. Do you think those people are going to take it offline? No, No. they're going to avoid each other, you know, so there's no support to help them have the conversation versus if their team members are saying, hey, Frank, you know, this is what I think you're saying. And Mary, this is what I think you're saying. You know, if you keep it in the context of the team, the team can support that dialogue. Agreed. And also, like, I wanted to add something there. So when you say take it offline and there's people watching that happen, they're also going to make up stories in their head about what has happened. And if you're saying that they may be avoiding the issues altogether, even after the meeting's over, I think everybody else on the team is probably talking about it <laughs> exactly. and making up whatever they think is happening. And that just stirs up drama it and does. whatever. It you're really right. does. It I wastes mean, waste time and energy for sure. I just remember one of the first times we were working together. This was a really large group of network engineers and they had brought us in. They had had other consultants come in and two different times what they were trying to create a rollout plan for this. They were building towers across the country. And each time they had the rollout plan, it failed. And so they were like, well, we just want a new rollout plan that's going to work. And we were like, okay, but we're going to do smart and healthy. We're going to do some other things to support you. And at the very beginning of the meeting, you know, first day of the meeting, we're talking about this notion of say what's really on your mind. Let's be vulnerable. Let's be real. And this one guy, you know, looks across the table at his peer and says, look, I don't trust you. I don't like you. This is a waste of time. And everyone was silent, you know, (laughs) except for me. I was like, okay, good. That's honest. (laughs) And, you know, I look at the guy I was talking to and I said, do you have anything to share? And it was ditto, you know? So we said, look, 
We're going to pause this for just a minute. And before we go any further, I just want a show of hands. How many of you around the table knew about this conflict between these two? All of them raised their hands. Unbelievable. You know, they recognized it. They didn't have a clue what to do with it. So what they were trying to do was actually create a rollout plan around their process, whole departments. Their process whole map of the whole process. <laughs> these two didn't have to deal with each other, which and, failed each time. And their teams didn't have to deal with it. I mean, it was... Then this happens a lot in business. I hate to say it, but you know, when we don't know how to deal with our conflict, we try to come up with some sort of smart solution to avoid it altogether. It ends up that that you know we worked through it. We didn't get it cleaned up completely. We took twenty minutes to figure out where the problem occurred, and it had been something that had happened nine months earlier. We told them, "You got to rebuild your relationship and work on it, and then you need to do this with your teams." And in the meantime, we're going to keep working with you so that business doesn't stop. But these things have to be happening alongside doing your business. And ends up, they went back to their very first rollout plan, and it was successful. The leader of that team was great because he wrote us back and said, this was at least a three quarters of a million dollar bottom line thing. Wow. Impact, you know? He said, so if someone tells you that this doesn't hit the bottom line, here's a good example of where it did. (laughs) that's incredible well you even said like vulnerability plus curiosity equals creativity and instead of fighting there's more magic behind that formula new ideas emerge and it's a better way to deal with conflicts it's you know showing yourself asking the right questions it leads to a team engaging doesn't it oh absolutely i mean the biggest thing though is we have our egos that get in the way And so this is when we coach leaders to actually be the one and they have the biggest leverage if they're the ones that said, you know, wait a minute, I want to slow this down. I realize I already had my opinion made up. And so no wonder it's been so hard to have a dialogue or whatever it is for them to acknowledge what's happening. It totally shifts the dynamics, that one move. And it doesn't even have to be the leader. If just one person shows up real like that, which is often us in the beginning when we're facilitating a team. We do that and then we model it and then the leader does it and then the team members start to do it. And it really creates a much richer playing field for the team to come up with solutions. Let's dive into the levels of opting in. Just like the opting outside of it, you've got some components to it. Let's start with me, which is where you start. You wrote that a common myth says it's better to show up at work, do your job, and then be a real person at home. So really keeping those lives separate. You disagree with that. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I do too, but I want to hear why you do. <laughs> well, one, I mean, if you think about it, like I always said, I think it was the Godfather movie, you know, business isn't personal yeah. or whatever. I think that really- <laughs> Business isn't personal. Yeah. It's business. It's not personal. And, you know, that's crazy. For one, you know, most people who are leaders in business, they are fully into that. It's something they're passionate about, something they care. They spend a large portion of the day there. If they can't bring all of themselves into that, their level of engagement and authenticity and ability to kind of bring their full opinion in is going to be diminished. And you can't separate when something is going on outside in the world. I mean, right now we're in the midst of a whole, yeah. And there's no way to sort of separate that all out cleanly. And so, It's not like you want people to come in and dive into their personal lives all the time or make everything personal, but 
you got to bring yourself in. And sometimes it is going to be more personal than others and more emotional. The willingness to say, you know, like if somebody's going through a divorce or a virus thing or whatever is going on, you know, to say, wow, I'm having a hard time or this is distracting me and I'm still here at work. So I'm still committed. But to let people know, especially as a leader, when you can let them know, hey, you are human and this is going on, then people have context for why you might not be at the tip top of your game or just to give you kind of some support in what you're going through, which is going to help you feel more human and whole. Most people believe that conflict is being done to them rather than by them. (laughs) So it sounds like awareness might be an issue for a lot of people. How do we solve that problem of making people more aware about how they're contributing to conflict? Well, I mean, this is where we talk about in there is how critical it is to be able to really become better at knowing what are you hiding? Even your own, your vulnerability script, you know, we call it kind of your me compass, compass, like that part of it. What am I thinking, feeling and wanting right now? How willing am I to share that? And even another big piece of the self-awareness thing is to realize that we all have huge filters from our most significant emotional events to our culture, to all sorts of things that if we don't start really recognize, we're not going to get rid of them. I mean, we want to say, let's get rid of any prejudice or bias or whatever. That's not ever going to happen. We all have these filters, but if we can own our bias and really begin to look at it and know, oh yeah, this is why I think like this then it doesn't play as strong a factor. So that awareness piece is huge. And it starts with me just being willing to recognize where am I really open? Where am I hidden? And you know, when you're starting to, a good indicator that you're a part of the problem is when you're blaming somebody else. You know, it's that old adage, one finger pointed out and three pointed back. (laughs) We're always co-creating our experiences. So you know, somebody can seem like the problem person if we could just get rid of them. But really, it's always a dynamic. And getting feedback is a good way because we all have our blind spots. Susan was talking about, we talk about the personal filter. We're, we have so many unconscious biases that we're not aware of. We'll never be completely aware of them. But to help get more awareness is getting feedback. And not feedback. As a leader, you get less and less feedback the higher you go up because people are more worried about their position. So they're going to be nicer to you, but you can, you know, whether you're getting coaching and getting feedback or getting feedback from your peers, finding ways to be open to that feedback. And I think another big piece of this is we tend to want to make parts of people and ourselves wrong. Like I've worked with a lot of leaders who basically have been sent to me because they needed anger management. Oh my gosh. I just remember this one guy that came to see me was actually a on target to be the CEO of a company over in China. And he was like, you know, I've been working for two and a half years now to get rid of my anger. That's, you know, and I was like, well, good luck with that. That's not, (laughs) I am not going to suggest you do that. But really, you know, I really believe, no, your reactivity or that is actually something you need to embrace and you need to own it and recognize it and be willing not to make it wrong. Because if you make it wrong, you're just going to be more and more distant from it. I mean, I think that's, it's kind of like when you make your anger or whatever, we all have our little idiosyncrasies. When you make them wrong, it's like pushing a beach ball underwater. You're trying to suppress. (laughs) It's going to come back up to the surface. Exactly. It'd probably pop you in the face. (laughs) Hey guys, it's Brandon here, your host of Transform Your Workplace. 
And I wanted to say that today's episode is sponsored by Pat Live. Did you know that 76% of customers hang up if they don't reach a live person? I mean, that's insane. And 85% of customers won't call back after an unanswered call. Stop forfeiting your business to your competitors because of missed calls. PatLive offers 24-7 live answering services, so you can spend less time following up and more time growing your business. And unlike many other live answering services, they're open 365 days a year. Their friendly and professional agents are all located in the United States and provide all the benefits of a personal receptionist at a fraction of the cost. They offer fully customizable scripts and call handling experiences to fit your business needs and fit seamlessly in with your brand. Pat Live is more than just an answering service. Whether you need assistance on nights and weekends, overflow call handling, or full coverage, Pat Live has you covered. They offer everything from message taking, call screening and transfers to lead collection, appointment scheduling, order processing, and so much more. According to business.com, Pat Live is the best answering service for small businesses in 2020. With Pat Live's virtual receptionists, you can turn more callers into customers, take better care of your clients, and improve your team's ability to focus and be productive. And now, for a limited time only, Pat Live is offering listeners of this podcast 15% off their regularly listed rates. This offer is only available over the phone, so give them a call now at 866-708-2507. That's 866-708-2507. And mention this podcast for more information or visit patlive.com. Make every call count with PatLive. That next tier is the we. Describe what the we is in the opt-in stage. Is it about the team and about the organization? What is it? It's really about being relational. We have this phrase, we say, you can be relational or you can be right. And a lot of times people get stuck in wanting to be right. So in this part of the book, we talk about curiosity and how open are you to another point of view and the idea of listening with the willingness to be influenced. And that's often very hard for people because we're preparing our response and this is what's going to be right. And so we talk about, we give several tools there, but to check out your story recognizing that when data comes in, it goes through our own personal filter and we're always making up our theory, our assumption, our hunch. And the idea is to check that out, not be so convinced you're right. So we break that down in there. And this really is where this is very difficult for highly smart people, you know, just because most of the time they've been right. This is actually the thing that really struck me from even dealing with my physicians and doctors and stuff is, you know, And most people have been paid to have their strong opinion. And in business, a lot of times people don't like to play in each other's sandbox. And it's like, wow, if you really could realize that, yeah, you might have 95% of the information, but you still may be missing something that would take it to the next level. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you don't need to let your ego get in the way of that. Yeah, you described like an open discussion about team norms. And I thought that was kind of interesting. How should teams be using that? When we start working with teams, a lot of times they have their own little habits that don't work for them. They're unproductive behaviors like showing up late or having their computers open or whatever they are. 
But their team norms usually say things like, we'll be respectful, yeah. <laughs> which is actually got nothing, nothing to do with the problems else. they yeah. have on the team. Yeah, exactly. It means nothing, yes. Because respect <laughs> is always self-defined. You know, extroverts think talking is really respectful versus introverts really like doing heard. So what we do is we actually take them through an experience where they write down what are the problem behaviors and what are the ones that are actually really impeding your ability to be successful. And then we come up with one, two, or three team norms that then they can hold each other accountable. So if it was time and they thought that was the one, we're going to be on time. And so when you implement that, we ask the leader to hold people accountable first, but then you want peer accountability, which we hated peer pressure in high school, but it really works (laughs) in business. I guess this is trying new things. (laughs) Well, and if somebody comes late, if the leader doesn't say anything, then you're like, oh, I can get away with that too, you know, because... Yeah. So versus, hey, we said we were going to be on time. I noticed you're 10 minutes late. Check out your story. Thank you for saying that. What's going on? (laughs) We all need that. (laughs) You know, what happens sometimes with teams is they'll say, yeah, but I don't want to throw my people under the bus. And it's like, you know, if you actually hold someone accountable, you know when you're actually trying to be mean about it. Mm -hmm. But if you really are just trying to say, look, I thought we agreed you were going to be on time and I noticed you're late. What happened? Because it could be I got into an accident coming here or something, you know, legitimate. And it is where that curiosity, say it, you know, share what you think happened, called them out in the sense of called the The behavior, behavior, but then be open to what happened. Because sometimes I was one time up on a stage and there was somebody, you know, I don't like people to engage with their cell phones and stuff. And I think I'd said, you know, you got to put down the cell phones or something. And so we were speaking and there was this guy up in the front row, just busily hammering away on his cell phone, which was beginning to drive me to distraction. (laughs) So I decided I should practice what I preach, you know? And so I said, look, I'm just going to stop for a second. I noticed that you're on your cell phone and I realized I'm telling myself a story that you don't really want to be here or something else is more important, or I really don't know, but I want to check it out because I'm beginning to get rattled by it. (laughs) And he, you know, it was actually a translator and he was trying to translate wow. what yeah, we were yeah, doing, yeah. you know, and I was embarrassed, but I was also like, I'm glad I checked because, you know, my irritation level would have kept oh, yeah, going absolutely. up. I did feel a little embarrassed, but I was also like, yeah, this is what we mean. It's not meant to be mean. It could have gotten meaner if I'd gotten more and more irritated. And then I would have been that example, that though, because like even other people in the room could have been distracted by it too. But now if they know what he's doing, he's trying to help you know, translate the information to somebody else like that, it probably puts everybody at ease a little bit. Like, okay, well, let's let them do the thing. Yeah. And Brandon, I think that's a really good point because if you say this is important and then you don't hold people accountable and people are doing the unproductive behavior, you're exactly right. People are like, well, I thought, you know, they're uncomfortable because wait a minute, we agreed to this and nobody's saying anything. Yeah. You put the organization as really that last tier to opting in to conflict. Is it any less important just kind of being that last tier? So explain that to me. The reason we put it there is because 90% of the time, that's where people want to go first. Leaders are like, this is a business meeting. You know, we'll bring you in for a training or HR or this or that. And it's like, no, no. If you don't actually start bringing these other components into your business meeting. The me and the we. The me and the we you're not really making your best decisions. So the only reason why we put it at the end is so that it actually comes into play 
with the healthy side also being equally important. Because typically we come in our initial entrance and often into a business, maybe we're coaching a leader, but quite often we'll do a two-day team offsite. And we use the, we, Susan referenced smart and healthy. The smart side is like the business side, but we often infuse the healthy side, the me and the we. And anytime we'll start with some styles on the first day, we'll talk about the communication model, but then we'll go into their business topics that the afternoon of the first day and marinates overnight. And it's amazing how much when people are start checking out their stories, clearing things up, the business solutions, because we talk about what your team purpose is or organizational purpose, what's most important right now, their goals, all that stuff comes together so much more quickly and at such a higher level quality because they're solving at a strategic level that when they take time to actually show up real and check out their stories and clear up their differences, it's amazing. So we don't think it's less important. We just think you get so much better results when you've got the whole team engaged. And yeah, this is relevant to now. It's not an interpersonal conflict situation, but like my mind's going to the coronavirus stuff that we have going on. So if like, you know, the government or businesses even said like, okay, businesses need to do X, Y, Z. They didn't do that approach. They went to, okay, we need to have social distancing. So people have more awareness around what was going on. Then we started talking with our teams about how do we work together? And then now businesses are probably using all that information to say, you know what? You know, we can do business a certain way. We can operate. It just seems like that was a natural progression. And it seems like all conflict could operate that way. So I like how you have that all listed out. Is that kind of the way I'm thinking of it? Is that how you are illustrating it as well? I think if I'm understanding, like the way I see it so applicable right now is that, you know, if businesses just try to do business as usual at home, at home, (laughs) you know, well, now they've told leaders, not only, you know, do you have to keep things from being a panic and keep the lights on, but you have to do it from home with everybody separated. But what we see is that some teams have actively realized this is not working. And so you have to bring the me, the we into it. You have to bring how, like as a leader, you have to deal with your own level of uncertainty and angst in this mode right now. And then you need to make room for the people who are working around you. You can't just have them show up on an online meeting and assume so true. You know, they yeah. got to deal with what's really going on. So give space for them to have, like ask, how are you doing personally? How are you doing professionally? Like make room because this is pretty emotional and people can poo-poo it. Oh, it's no big deal. but actually some people are very afraid. So if you don't create a little space to actually have that conversation, you're going to lose people. They're not going to be focused on their work. And the truth is business as usual is different. So you may have to actually look at what have we said is most important to us. Now that we're in this situation, that may change. And having that conversation all together, I think teams will be much more happy and satisfied and able to come up with some pretty creative things that not just help the business, but may actually help the broader issue. Because, I mean, we had to change our strategy. We were all about speaking this year. All those speaking engagements and are getting canceled. So we're going to be working. podcasting. Yeah, exactly. Podcasting. <laughs> we're working on our next book. So, but reframing the business and seeing there's maybe some things you can't change, but what can you get these people aligned around and giving them a purpose. Oh my gosh, that's so much more helpful than just trying to get the work out of them. Yeah, it seems like alignment in the organization is like one of the biggest components to minimizing any negative outcomes of the conflict that 
you know, may be arising. Yeah. Right. And I mean, the absolute worst thing that can happen is that the executive team or whoever goes off and doesn't talk. <laughs> I mean, I don't know where that came from, that that was ever a good idea not to be transparent, but somewhere along the line, it did. And it's like, if you don't actually communicate in real time and with some transparency, what happens? The rumor mill, it will happen whether you're in the office, online, or the internet. People will start making up their own stories. And I'd say 99% of the time, that is worse than whatever you think you may be facing that you can't talk about. Whatever team you're on, the alignment is communicated when if that leadership team, if somebody asks Fred, they get the same answer of when they ask Jane, you know, like they're all saying the same thing. That's how you transmit that alignment. And the organization takes a deep breath and relaxes. Yeah. And it's not that that's a word for word thing you all have to say. No, no. That only comes if the leaders are being genuine and real. Yeah. You know, does that make sense, Brandon? Yeah. Absolutely. This has been a phenomenal conversation. Like I just loved your methodology around it and your graphics in your book too about your model is great too. So I'm going to put a screenshot or something so people can see that. But I encourage people to go get the book too. Where can people check out the book and anything that you guys are up to? Yeah. So the book, The Beauty of Conflict, Harnessing Your Team's Competitive Advantage is online at Amazon. That's where you can buy it. You can learn more about it at our website, which is our business is Thrive Inc. www.thriveinc.com. T-H-R-I-V-E-I-N-C.com. And that's where we have our consulting, our coaching, our leadership development programs, all about us. <laughs> you can check us out on LinkedIn at Chris Marie Campbell and Susan Clark. And we have a podcast. And we have a podcast too, The Beauty of Conflict. Yes, go check that out. Just in closing, what's one thing you want to tell people about conflict? It could be anything. The thing that I would say, and this is Susan, is, you know, conflict is your life force. Don't be afraid of it. It's natural. It's healthy. It's your aliveness. And it's uncomfortable, but, oh, it's, you know, if you can hang in, it's worth it. And for me, Chris Marie, I grew up a professional conflict avoider that, (laughs) (laughs) yes, absolutely. And I still don't like conflict, even though we've actually written two books on it. But if you can learn to hang in and find your voice, your life will change and your business will change. You'll get so much better, creative, innovative results. I wholeheartedly believe that. I love it. Chris Marie Campbell, Susan Clark, thanks for coming on the podcast. You guys are great. Oh, by the way, I wanted to ask you because you have another book. It's about relationships, right? So more like a kind of personal. It's called The Beauty of Conflict for Couples. We take some of these same ideas. I know people listening are going <laughs> to need that at home. So go pick that one up too. <laughs> thanks, Brandon. <laughs> thanks for coming on. Oh, we loved it. 